Welcome to the Opportunity Knocks podcast by Empower Purpose, hosted by me, Michelle Valenzuela-Wolf. Every week, we feature different extraordinary female entrepreneurs in the business and wellness segments on just that, opportunities. These segments deep dive into how these courageous women transition into their purpose. We want to give you permission to discover, pursue, and achieve your goals. We learn and reaffirm that life is never linear. It's how we as women choose to take, make, create, and evaluate opportunities. Remember, it's all going to be okay. Thank you for your support and make sure to subscribe. Hi, Mara. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I am great. I am so excited because you're the first spirits company that I'm actually interviewing. And that is a luxury good. And that is something that I love is tequila. I'm so excited. Amazing. I'm so glad that you're a tequila fan. Yeah, super big tequila fan. And actually, obviously, having grown up with it because of being Mexican and such. So can't wait to dive into that. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm joined here today with Mara Smith, who is the founder of Inspiro Tequila. And she uh, and I have just been chatting a little bit offline. And I've been really enjoying hearing a little bit about her story She's got a really eclectic background coming from, you know, being a corporate lawyer, but then also doing business development and also innovations with McDonald's and lots of different things. So I'm excited for her to tell us about it, not me, Um, but let's get started. So why don't you talk to me a little bit about how you kind of got started, but then where did the tequila company come from? That's amazing. A, a very big shift. So um, my background, my undergrad degree was in accounting and then I got a CPA and then I went straight to law school. I, I always knew I wanted to go to law school. I'd say I was very um, myopically focused on the end goal of getting into a good law school and then from law school, attaining a job at a big law firm so I could pay off my law school debt. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I went straight from law school to a really large firm in Chicago, um, at the time, the biggest firm in Chicago, and was practicing uh, transactional law. Um, once I knew I wanted to actually, you know, I was contemplating starting a family. Um, at that point, I thought I wanted to move to the corporate side and try my hand in the, the corporate side. Um, a big piece of that was at the time when I was at my law firm, I, there were no, um, there were no women partners in my entire department. Um, and so I had really no role models to look to, to see how you could possibly balance a job at a large law firm with a family. The only kind of option at that time was I could go, um, part-time and part-time essentially means at a law firm that, you um, work full-time and are paid a part-time salary. You're off the partnership track and you you get the kind of like not really fun, like sexy deals. Like I like the big, hairy, great deals. So yeah. I got a ton of amazing experience. And I, I loved, I loved everything I did at the law, law firm and I learned so much, but I didn't see an opportunity, like a future for me if, um, and I really didn't want to be off a partnership track, to be honest. Like if I was going to do it, I wanted to be on track and I wouldn't be able to do that in a, in You're any probably case. feeling frustrated by that, by the way. And who wouldn't be as a woman? 
So I think at the time it just didn't, you know, I was kind of like, well, that's the only option, but here I can go on the corporate side and, and not practice law, but try my hand and the business end of things. So I went to McDonald's corporation where I worked in the business development corporate strategy department, which at the time was new for them. So it was really exciting. Um, They were trying to, you know, innovate and come up with new ideas and potential opportunities for McDonald's. I was part of like an incubator project that Mm -hmm. they brought, um, McDonald's employees from all around the world to, and we were actually in an offsite um, project where we were looking at, you know, consumer insights and trends and just ideating around new potential ideas for the company. It was really interesting, really fun. Um, For me, it was a huge deviation from kind of what I had done before. And it really opened my eyes to all these new opportunities, which I think I never contemplated. I was just so, you know, focused and driven and saw like one path. And this showed me that all these different, like, options and opportunity. I think that's where it kind of like lit my entrepreneurial spirit. Um, my, my, my climb up the corporate ladder though, came to a, a screeching halt when I was put on emergency bed rest with okay. my oldest kids who are twins. And once I had preemie babies, um, I thought they needed my attention. And so I made the decision. I was fortunate to be able to, to make that choice to stay home. Um, and you know, take care of my kids and I guess essentially become CEO of my household. I think I applied the same rigor of my work outside the home to my work inside the home. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, and, you know, but I'd always been, I always had in the back of my mind, I was always thinking of new ideas, always, you know, coming up with business ideas, uh, a huge fan of like every podcast that talks about founder story from how I built this to reading books about it to, you know, being a, you know, dedicated Shark Tank watcher, like always fascinated by kind of the entrepreneurial journey. Um, and I think maybe built up my risk tolerance a little, uh, as I was older, I don't think I had that same risk tolerance, um, when I was, you know, younger and going straight from law school to a a big firm. I just wanted security and a stable job. And now my appetite for risk maybe is a little, a a little bigger. Yes. Um, so as I was thinking of ideas all the time and ideating, I kept coming back to tequila. Um, I've been a tequila drinker for years when I was looking for a cleaner spirit option that kind of fit, I'd say my healthier lifestyle, Mm -hmm. been gluten-free for over 10 years, an active lifestyle. Um, as you know, no time to like nurse a hangover uh, the next morning. Yeah. Nobody needs right. Jose Cuervo. I mean, that's not, doesn't taste very good when you have a hangover. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just remember that found, from when I was little. Totally. So found really good quality tequila, not the stuff that like made you sick, you know, when you're younger, but good quality tequila. Just, I, it felt better. Um, it's a cleaner option and I feel better the next day. I could join myself with girlfriends but be, you know, up and about, um, you know, the next morning. And so I kept hearing from women that they are tequila drinkers and that they love tequila and that's their spirit of choice. Um, but I kept thinking, well, if all these women are telling me they love tequila, why are brands not focused on this consumer? And I just did not think from a branding and marketing perspective of, you know, scantily clad women and dark bar scenes that didn't resonate with me, bottle designs that are like stout and stocky and, and dark, like, or depictions of agave fields or skulls. It's just, those were things that did not personally appeal to me as a thoughtful consumer. And there are all these women who have a lot of purchasing power, make most of the 
you know, purchasing decisions for their home are the main entertainer. They do drink spirits and they drink tequila because over half the tequila drinkers are female. Um, and I think they care about what they eat and drink and the companies they support. They're thoughtful consumers. And I really didn't think that anyone was very focused on them as a primary consumer. Mm -hmm. I felt like they're like an ancillary beneficiary of a lot of brands, but not the main focus. And so I thought, what if we can create something where this consumer, me as the consumer is the main focus. So we, we really want to create something that was customer centric. It also did not take a lot of due diligence to discover that there are very few women in the spirits industry at all. Exactly. And I thought there was also the ability to make an impact. And if I could bring a female perspective, not just my own, but have women involved in every part of our process from our master distiller, creating the taste profiles to getting it on the shelves, um, that we really could lend, you know, a female voice, another female voice to an industry where you don't, you don't hear a lot of them. So tell me, you know, when you decided to launch, so when did you actually launch? Was it 2020? So I incorporated in February of 2020, um, you know, not the ideal time, (laughs) was, but it was hard to coordinate everything during COVID because I couldn't get to Mexico Mm. because of travel restrictions. So I kept planning trips to Mexico to get down there for production and I couldn't go. Mm. I didn't end up being able to go and actually be on site to taste on site. I mean, they were sending samples back and forth, but I couldn't go till May of 2021 so it was really hard. It's hard to have someone else like creating your baby. Yeah, without you being a part there. of it. It's like birthing a baby, but basically not being there to feed it, right? Yeah. Like whether that be bottle feed or breastfeed, right? So, but it's interesting. Um, one of the things that you mentioned before we got on the call was, which I didn't know um, about a tequila brand is that if you want it to be 100% pure agave, it has to be from certain regions in Mexico. So that also must have been hard, right? Right. Well, there it's it's similar. It's an Appalachian origin, just like champagne. So, right to be called champagne, it has to be made in the region of champagne. Yes. So, same for tequila. For tequila, it has to be made within Jalisco, Mexico, the state of Jalisco, or there are a couple other states and certain areas within those states in Mexico. Most of it's made within Jalisco. Jalisco. So mm-hmm. there are so many distilleries. So there are lots of options and places to get production done. But yes, to be 100% agave, um, and that what's called like a mixto, which means it could have like other sugars and greens in it, but be 100% agave tequila, which is the really good quality tequila that you want. Yeah. Um, it has to be, you know, not only manufactured, but bottled. So basically imported, fully bottled and, and ready to go when you yeah. bring it into the United States. So, so tell me, my question for you is like when, so you go to Jalisco and you basically, you taste, you do tastings, right? With your distiller, right? The woman, the female woman that actually helps you get the correct flavoring, right? But one of the things that you were talking about when we were talking about it being clean and stuff was that a lot of people put like additives in the tequila, their tequila, like, give me an example of that. So many, many tequila brands, um, they add glycerin, um, flavoring, coloring. um, And so that like, basically you can get like different aromas that you wouldn't naturally get. Um, 
And a lot of brands do this. Now it's also allowed up to a certain percent in Mexico where you don't even have to have it on the label. So no one would necessarily know because it's not on the label. If you go over a certain percent, then it will be on the label. Um, but there's a new um, kind of confirmation process by this entity in Mexico, very well-respected entity called the Tequila Matchmaker. And they are actually now confirming tequila brands that don't use additives as additive-free. So we went through that process with them to be confirmed additive-free. So it's really just based on our really meticulous process of you know how we handcraft tequila and and use traditional methodologies to create the taste profiles. And we're not kind of, you know, altering anything to create um, using additives. Okay. Are there other female owned tequila brands? Just curious. There are, well, I mean, I know it's not the there, there are like, I'm sure there are a few. It's so hard to tell as far as like, I only can tell like who's woman owned certified mm. and there's really only one other right now that's like hundred percent agave um, tequila brand that is that's woman-owned certified as far as I know right now. Yes. Um, as far as you know, woman-owned certification, like weaving certification, you have to go through these certain, you know, hurdles and requirements and be over 51%. I'm sure there are other brands that are either, you know, female founded or have or maybe female owned um, or partially owned. I don't, I'm not sure of their whole structure, but we're actually created. So our master stiller owned and led by an all female team. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, so, so, and tell me why did you choose to go in that direction of only, I mean, I, you know, I'm a hundred percent in support of what you're doing clearly um, uh, with my background and what I find so important as far as like helping women like move forward and become more leaders in, in many different categories, but why did you choose to only hire women? So and listen, I have consultants and I have people at agencies that are men that that help. But for me, well, one, the only perspective I can give from on my behalf is a female perspective. So that's first and foremost. So that's the only perspective I can perspective I can bring. I also really um, I wanted it to feel very authentic for me. So when I say that I'm bringing female voices into the industry. And then I'm trying to come in and innovate with like one as an outsider into a very kind of ingrained industry and two as a woman that it was important to me to have everyone kind of involved in that process when it comes to how we want to talk to this consumer, who she is and to really understand her. And I just thought for me to say, well, I'm, I own it, but let's say my main advisor is like, uh, an industry, you know, an old industry male veteran, like it, that did not seem authentic for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying anybody else how they do it, but for me, I was like, okay, I really well, want, you know, yes. And I, watched it. yeah. And I just wanted to have this kind of like powerhouse. I wanted to kind of show that it can be done mm-hmm. uh, honestly that you can have like I love that you know all these amazing women it's not to say that I wouldn't hire a, a man but I just thought can we show that there's like great I mean I have some I have industry experts who have a lot of expertise but are women I brought a woman for my you know she's like my fractional COO 
And she was a stay-at-home mom who had experience in her prior life. I'm like, hey, don't you want to get back in and, you know, work as my, you know, COO? And she has three little kids at home and she wasn't sure, but I said, you can work whatever hours you want. I don't care as long as it gets done. I don't care if you're doing during school hours, late at night, whenever. But I just thought there were, I thought I had the ability to actually kind of bring people in and give them maybe bigger, you know, bigger roles than they normally would have, would have had. And I think what you're doing, what you're talking about, what you're tapping into is a little bit of giving women that have left the workplace, the opportunity to sort of reenter, but on their terms a bit more, some flexibility related to that. And um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that from you, because it seems like it's something that's super inspiring for you. And I know that when I launched Empower, for example, I remember working with this recruiting firm a bit, like uh, to to make the suggestion that women over 40 still have so much to offer and that, you know, there's a market for them. And they disputed that um, perhaps they weren't committed because they needed flexibility. And I, I said, I think that you're actually going to get more from this demographic than you would from necessarily a younger person that's less committed. And um, because generationally speaking, and I know I'm generalizing, however, we know our workhorse generation um, tended to overcommit to the amount of hours that they would give. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that from you, because it sounds like an emphasis for you. Yes. Well, I think first, it's interesting that you mentioned the women over 40, because also when I think of our consumer, just even starting from our consumer, that's one thing like, you know, spirits brands traditionally don't even market to anyone, women or men over 40, uh, which I find amusing because I don't know, everyone I know still goes out, still enjoys drinks. Um, and we also have the purse drinks, by the way. Yes. And it's willing to spend on really quality. Yes. Um, so I find it interesting that in generally, like, you know, women over 40, the only thing marketed to to them is like, you know, wrinkle, anti-wrinkle cream. And so that one, there's an opportunity there, like to really focus on a little bit of an older demographic because these women still have, you know, like very active social lives. Um, and, and I think (laughs) we all need a social life. Totally. We need your tequila. I, I love it. I mean, it's, it was really something that I, I, when I was thinking what I wanted to do, something that I could actually share with my girlfriends was really, um, kind of a really big part of it and made it very exciting because it's something that I can actually like bring and share. Um, but I do think like, you know, one women, when they've been out of the workforce, it's very difficult to reenter, especially once they've been out for two or more years. Um, and it's unfortunate that society doesn't place that much value on these skilled women. So they, you know, you never lost the skills you acquired before you were a stay-at-home parent. You still have all those skills. And I'm a believer that you actually hone a lot of new skills. I mean, I had preemie twins. I can multitask like the best of them. I mean, you know, with children, no day ever goes as planned. So flexibility, I mean, I definitely have to learn a lot of flexibility. And that is key when you're starting a company because no day ever goes as planned and you're always trying to problem solve and come up with plan B and then plan C. You know, efficiency, like balancing 
schedules, three children, everyone's scheduled household. I mean, I really, you know, being CEO of the house and handling everything there. And all of those are directly applicable to skills that you use, um, you know, when working. So I feel like it's too bad that one more women don't recognize those those particular skills that they have and, they and understand the transferable skills. And it's so important because like you said, they're so valuable. So many of them. Yeah. And that society doesn't kind of like look at that and see like, oh, there's just a lot of untapped potential there. And I agree with you as far as work ethic. I mean, I, I don't know work hours. I never had a job where I had you know, specific work hours. It was like, you get the job done. I mean, I worked, you know, at a huge law firm. So the number of hours I was doing nine to five job. Yeah. And, and by the way, startup life is also, there's no nine to five. It's not for the faint of heart. It is Um, definitely good for you to mention that because the thing is, is that, um, but there is flexibility in that, but you've chose that. You could easily fill those hours, but you have three children. So you have to be available. Yes, but it is hard. I, and I'm the first person to say I'm not good at balance. Um, I'm really good at focusing on the task at hand. And on one day, it's going to be one thing. It may be child-related and I'll get that done and it'll get done really well. And another day, it'll be a, something that's work-related and something, and the ball's going to drop in another area. Yes. So... I feel like I, I don't know that I believe in the concept of balance, or at least on a daily basis, I'm never going to have all the balance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll get something done. And then well, part of that could done. also be like accepting yourself for who you are yeah. and knowing and loving those parts. Um, and maybe the balance is not like what you're thinking of, like in terms of a scale being two different things, but maybe the balance is actually more specifically that it's like, I am specifically focused. Like when you use the word focus earlier, I'm specifically focusing on this task for today. Cause this is where I want to emphasize my energy, you know? Um, so it is balanced, but it's just more of uh, the way you're looking at what balances, you know, yeah. I'm trying to like give myself a little bit of grace and cut myself some slack that like, I'm not going to get everything done as, as perfectly as I would like every day. And mm-hmm. something is going to, something's going <laughs> to fall by the wayside. You know, it may be that I, um, you know, yesterday I'm scrambling. I forgot to send lunch and I'm scrambling last minute to gra- get a lunch to my fourth grader at school. You like sound human. Yeah. <laughs> you sound like Very, a mother for God's yeah. sake. I, I just think it's important to show that it's, it's really, I, I was um, DMing back and forth with one of my advisors the other day. And I said, and she also has a startup and said, you know, it's really exciting. It's really interesting. It's not glamorous. Mm-hmm. Like anything that anyone makes it seem like really glamorous. I'm like, it's not glamorous. Mm-hmm. It's, you know. Well, you know, there are glamorous times within businesses, but anything that is worth it takes hard work right? And in addition, it takes consistency and commitment. And with those things, it's not glamorous. There's a lot of day-to-day stuff, like you're saying, that is not pretty to get done, but you do it because you love it. Yes. It's, I mean, it's truly a labor of love. And I feel like this is like my fourth child and getting to see something and creating something from scratch is, it is, it's a really, um, it's a really great feeling. It's surreal when you see something 
in it because it's a tangible product. And, you know, when I went to Mexico for my first, like in-person tasting, and I was seeing like Inspiro tequila sitting in front of me mm-hmm. and getting, try it. I mean, it was, it was seriously like an out of body. Um, I can imagine. I can imagine. And, and by the way, the elation of knowing that again, your fourth baby, you birthed this child. How beautiful is it that you, I mean, it's like a whole formulation process and a marketing process and, you know, and bringing it to, to market where people are actually consuming it and purchasing it. What a big deal. Like so much to celebrate really Mara. Yes. I'm trying to celebrate the little wins because as you know, anything you start and you start new, there are so many obstacles, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm trying not to just, you know, I say for every day, you know, you have one like good thing and four bad pieces of news, but like when you're in a startup mode, but I'm really trying to take it in and, and enjoy and celebrate whatever those little wins are, because I feel like if not, you're going to miss the whole thing. If, if, if you gloss over it and just look at the next goal, next, you know, what's next? Exactly. Um, and that's a very corporate perspective too. And having been conditioned, both of us conditioned and trained in that environment, shifting that perspective and that mindset to small wins versus looking to the long-term five-year plan is, is a win in and of itself, by the way. Yes. It's, it's a mindset change for me. It really is because it's not, it's not really how I'm wired. I'm, I feel like the kind of even student, like, okay, great. I got the great, great. Okay. Next. What do I have to study for next? Like, didn't even take it in to like appreciate or enjoy it for a minute. I was like, next, what, what's the next thing I have to tackle. And I'm, I'm trying to like really make a shift in my own, yeah. you know, mentality to, to try and appreciate it because, um, if not, it's a very, very long journey. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon to grow a company. And so I I feel like I have to like, you know, appreciate those small wins. I love that. And I love that whole idea of knowing that you have to shift your mindset and appreciating those things. It's, it is so important. And that's what helps us go to that next level is being able to actually recognize when it's a win or when it's a surrender, by the way. Right. So I do have a question for you. You mentioned your advisors. And so I wanted to know, um, because a lot of people in your infancy that you are of the company being a couple of years old, don't have a board of advisors. So I'd love, and I, it's funny as in coaching people, I often tell people they need a personal board. Right. And so uh, with a mixture of all different types of pe- types of people that are going to help you move forward and grow, right? So I loved when before we got on the call that you had mentioned it, but then you just mentioned it again. So two questions that I have for you on that: one is how did you go about um, devising your board or your advisory board, and then the secondary component of that is. Um, do you look for investors now or right now you're completely fine to like uh, grow it on your own for a period of time before you do that? Or maybe you do. So, um, I'm going to back up a little about like how I could enter, like basically what's required to like, you know, enter into a totally new industry. First, I had to do a ton, a ton of research. 
And that there's access to kind of all this information out there to get up to speed. I'd get up to speed on the tequila industry. I didn't understand anything about marketing or digital marketing or that whole, you know, totally. Yeah. And I was like, just consuming as much information as I could, like getting certified with the CRT in Mexico on the production history of tequila, like reading books, listen to webinars, podcasts, you know, everything I could do to like inform myself and learn as much as possible. But I am a believer that no matter how much I could learn and how much due diligence I did as a solo entrepreneur, I still needed a network of people to support me and I couldn't do it alone. And that I would say that to anybody. I mean, I, one, I'm not going to be proficient in all those areas. I'll understand enough to be able to make decisions, but listen, like social media is a great example. I am not proficient at all in social media. It is still something I, I totally don't understand very well, and I'm not really good at it. So I help you with that. <laughs> I'm I'm terrible. Something my, I became my, proficient in. <laughs> my kids literally make fun of me that like I don't know what I'm doing. Kids make fun so, of me no matter what. It's never good enough. So, um. So. I knew that I really had to build like a support system. One, I did that by joining like a number of women's networks of like just amazing, incredible, like collaborative networks of women who, especially, you know, female founders and leaders that just support and collaborate. And um, it's been huge for me because um, I had to kind of create um, a, a business network that I'd never had before and create that from scratch as well, going back into the workforce. The other thing is, I knew I needed my own advisory board, people that could um, could direct me in the areas that I don't know very well. So one, I wanted I wanted you know geographic diversity. So I have people from all different parts of the country. I have three in Chicago because I'm in Chicago, but then I have two in California. I have Colorado. I have Tennessee. Um, so I really wanted diversity for geographic. And I also wanted subject matter diversity. So, you know, someone on my advisory board, you know, runs, you know, um, a VC. Someone else has a lot of experience in consumer products. Someone launched a consumer product. Some are marketing people. So I really wanted a varied, in, because I wanted input. I wanted everybody, I needed feedback, Right. Um, I was just coming at it with my perspective, like, oh, I like how this sounds, or I like how we're marketing and using exactly this terminology. And I needed people to give me honest Experts. feedback. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, so that is totally. And especially so because, and this is a part of the reason why an advisory board was also important for me, is because I did not take outside funding. I'm bootstrapped and I'm still bootstrapped. So maybe if I had like investors on board who um could help and guide me, you know, if you had, if you're bringing on investors who have either subject matter expertise or industry expertise and can help like move you in the right direction. But because I don't, um, I, I knew I needed like an advisory board to help do that. And really I kind of, you know, everyone was like an introduction from someone else. I have like my eyes set on someone. They'd be like, Oh, do you know this person from this person? And and frankly, that's kind of how I built my entire network is every time someone makes an introduction, I take the introduction, I follow up on it. I try and do my research so I don't go in like 
blindly. So if I'm going to reach out to someone, if I reach out to my an advisor or anyone on LinkedIn or email, I'll have done my homework. I'll know all about them, their background, their company, what they do to have a really specific ask So do they for have them. to commit to a certain period of time to be on your board? Yeah. So my advisors are, yes, we have like an, an agreement for, well, basically they, I, you know, they get a, a piece of equity for it and they have to invest over a period of time and, and, you know, different people structure advisory boards differently, but that's how I structured um, I structured mine as far as like the, you know, time commitment and how that works over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And so do you feel like at any point that you might take investors or you feel like at this point you want full control of your company and the brand and where the direction it's going to go? You know, I think at some point we might fundraise. What I'd say is right now, there's a few reasons why I haven't. One I'd like proof of concept first. I'd like to gain some traction before mm-hmm. I went in that direction. Right. Mm-hmm. We're just we're just starting to enter retail. Because unfortunately, with mm-hmm. everything that's been going on in our world. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I want to enter into, you know, start building state by state. Um, and just have proof of concept first, especially before I take like friends and family money. I'd like to have proof of concept. Um, and then you know, I am a solo entrepreneur and I'm wearing many, many hats. And from the complications of like the compliance involved in alcohol to logistics, to marketing. And I honestly don't have, I have no extra bandwidth that is required to pound the pavement to, you know, um, really do that. And, and, and the outreach required for funding and bringing in outside funding. Mm-hmm. And I think the third thing is that right now, I really have a vision in my own mind of what, how I'd like to see this get started. And you have to be willing to modify that a bit um, when you have other people involved. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Um, so, so, you know, um, I mean, and that all makes perfect sense. I mean, people do suggest that you have proof of concept first anyways. But in addition, um, I think there's a period of time where when you're having a baby, you're not, not all people feel comfortable handing it off to the nanny, you know? Um, And so this, this is your time to basically cultivate relationship with uh, your baby intimately and, um, and understand where you want to bring it. And especially coming out of the pandemic, um, there's just been so many obstacles and challenges for people that I feel like they're just getting to a point where they could breathe and be like, oh, okay, I can go freely to Mexico and not have a problem going and seeing what's happening with the, with the tequila bottle or, you know what I mean? Um, so that's really cool. So tell me, what makes your tequila different besides being female owned, besides being female run? Um, than other high-end tequilas out there. Like, so some of my favorites are like Clase Azul um, or, I mean, like I like so many, but like, let's start there because I do love that. Um, uh, I even love Corso, which is now a little bit more middle of the road, but I do love the bottle. Um, So tell me a little bit more about why. And right now you have one SKU, which um, which is a silver or a plata. 
And I know you said that your Reposado is supposed to be launched soon, which will be your second SKU, which will be probably in May, you said, yes. or hopefully in May. So tell me about that. Like when, if I was going to taste it, which I haven't tasted it yet, but I will when mm -hmm. I see you May 2nd, um, uh, maybe not during the day, but <laughs> um, I, you know, I'd love to understand, like, is it smoothness yes. or what? Yes. So, and first I was going to touch really quickly back on, I want just to recognize that I feel very fortunate that I can self-fund because I realize that's not, uh, not everybody has that opportunity. I feel like that's part of the benefit of being a little more seasoned entrepreneur and not doing this when I'm 25 is that, you know, we've been working, um, for a lifetime husband and I before starting this. So, um, just recognizing that because, uh, I'm, I'm very cognizant of the fact that that is not many people's, you know, trajectory or, or, you know, that they can do that. But so our tequila, so a number of things, one, I wanted to create the taste profiles that I thought this like thoughtful female consumer was looking for, which were really sweeter notes. So I say like notes of like vanilla, cooked agave, caramel, ours has some hints of citrus and mint in it. And I wanted to create it and get those taste profiles, but without using additives. So many of those brands that, you know, you love and many, you know, consumers love, they actually have additives in them. They had coloring, flavoring, glycerin. Um, so the way they get those really sweet notes that you That's like from this, from aromas to taste is because they're using additives in it. Mm. So I wanted, I said, can we do that and create it? but just based on this like really meticulous, thoughtful process. So it's from the agave, which agave we select in the field to how it is cut to how it's cooked. Like it is our proprietary recipe all the way through. And our distillery just follows Anna Maria Romero's really meticulous process and, and recipe to create Inspiro tequila. And our Blanco is a really easy to drink. We like to say dangerously easy to drink Blanco tequila, our first expression. It is, there's very little bite on the back end. It has all those sweet notes. It's confirmed additive free. We were able to kind of create the notes by using some different proprietary yeast strains based on our cooking methodology. And we rest it in oak barrels, American oak for a very short period of time. We say a lunar quarter. It's a real short period of time. It varies. The exact amount of days varies depending on how often the barrels have been used and clean and how they've been cleaned and things like that. But that resting for a short time, not like aging it to where it becomes like a reposado expression or affects the color, um, really does take a lot of that bite out as a lot of those sweet notes mm. and truly makes it, I wanted it to be a sippable Blanco tequila so that if you want to have it neat, if you want to have it on the rocks, add a little soda. I wanted to create something that you did not have to add to a bunch of, you know, kind of sugary cocktail ingredients or whatever to make it, you know, consumable and drinkable that, you know, the reason a lot of people want tequila is because it is a clean plant-based, you know, no sugar, no carbs, and if you put it in, I mean, listen, if you put in a really sugary margarita, you're still not going to feel great the next day, yeah. but if you drink it in a really clean way and you don't need to add a lot, I mean, it works it's very versatile. It works great in like very simple, clean cocktails also, but my, you know, the way I drink it is just tequila soda on the rocks. Um, so 
that is what I think we really managed to create is this like additive free sippable Blanco tequila that has like really great aroma profile, um, taste profile without um, a lot of the bite that you would normally find in especially like a Blanco. So tell me, what is the price point? Our Blanco um, ranges, well, it's approximately $52.99. That's what it is on our website, but different retailers can charge different amounts, but that's what our price point is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so, so 52, so it's an average price point. Like it's a higher end, like it's, um, what would you call that? Ex- not exclusive brand. It's an but ultra like- premium, ultra but you know, we also have a custom design, just like how you said you love the class Azul bottle. The bottle was really important to me. I wanted a bottle that would stand out on the shelves that was really sleek and sophisticated that I would like to display. So, you know, having a handcrafted, it's not a like batch tequila that we just you? tweaked. Huh? You have one near you to show. Oh yeah. Hold on. Yeah, go get that. I love that. So the fact that it's handcrafted, like handcrafted, a custom bottle design. Yeah, that's beautiful. The price point is etched bottle. So pretty. Yeah. So it's all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And by the way, so speaking of which, you know, we could talk for hours, but like, uh, my question is, how'd you come up with the name Inspiro? Because um, one of my core values is inspiration. And so I'm just curious to understand for you, like, obviously I know what Inspiro means in Spanish, but why? So the reason I came up with Inspiro or Inspire in Spanish, um, and this was after doing this whole naming exercise and actually even hiring someone, a consultant to help me with naming that it came up, came to me like the night. So course, I really, I totally, <laughs> I really wanted to name it after two women who really inspired me, my grandmother and my mother. So um, my grandmother was the matriarch of our family. She passed away a few years ago. She was a Holocaust survivor, came here with very little formal education. She helped raise me and, um, and really had the utmost confidence in my ability. And I feel like both of them made me believe I could really do anything I set my mind to. And um, I think having that kind of you know, two women really setting a great example and showing, you know, that and making me feel like anything I want to do that anything I put my mind to is a possibility, um, really inspired me. And it made me, I guess, have the confidence to think, you know, I could enter any industry, regardless if it's male dominated or not, or an industry I know about or don't. Well, one thing Uh, I'm learning from you is that while you come off as very um, calm and, um, and, but you're very directed, like you used the word focused a few times earlier on, but I would call it directed and very clear. And I could see why uh, the two women that inspire you felt that about you because I could see where whatever you would put in front of you, you would manifest like you're just um, somebody who's quite capable. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, I think they'd probably say, I'd say determined. They probably would refer to it as a little bit stubborn yeah. um, as far as like when I'm- It all serves us. Yes. Um, and my mom is just someone who's, she, she's very passionate about many, many issues. And when she puts her mind to something, she is really a force to be reckoned with. So she really demonstrated, um, 
we like to say like, we're who you call on when you want to get something done. I love that. <laughs> well, we all need people like that in our lives. And, um, you know, I always say like, it's like that top, top 1% of people that really like, they're, they're all the ones that have like multiple children, run a business and are always there for their friends. So that's, that's a beautiful, those are beautiful qualities. Um, so I do have one last question for you. And I ask every person this on the podcast, but as a coach, as a transformational coach, it's very important for me, for people to live within their values. And I'd love to hear what you believe your top five core values are and how they serve you every day. Um, I'd say one is family first. Mm-hmm. So I like to say that, you know, when people can say like your business, you know, business success or what your biggest success is, like mm-hmm. no matter what my, my children, my three children will always be my your big, biggest success and my priority. So above all else, um, I think the second one is, you know, and beyond just my children for family, like my whole family is obviously very crucial husband, mother, everybody, you know, um, in-laws, everyone in my family, like that is the priority kids first. And then every, then all the family, I say second is, um, I'd say a core value for me is, is really loyalty. Mm. I'm just someone who, um, it's like funny. Like, I mean, I feel like I've gone to the same, like hair person for the last like 20 years. I, I, I don't even know how long. Cause like when I find someone, I just stick with them. And I'm the same with, um, friends and with everyone, like loyalty is super important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think authenticity is a really core value for me as well. And I, I'm probably maybe authentic to a fault and maybe a little too honest. I'm the person who, you know, I was coming back from Mexico and custom stopped me and said, do you have any alcohol? I'm like, well, I have tequila. And I'm the one who ends up like in the basement of customs getting my bag searched because, (laughs) um, but even I feel like showing authenticity in the brand, like what the real story is, who's behind it, you know, everything I put up, it, it's, it's funny. Cause even they want to show like products I love and I, I try and taste every, like a zillion products and love trying taste being a taste tester. And they put up like one thing. It was like a bag. And I looked at them like, I would never carry that. You can't put it up. So, um, I feel like really being well, it has to be uh, relevant to you. Mm-hmm. Yes. It has to be relevant. It has to be authentic. Like everything I put up and everything I talk about is it has to be authentic. What's well, a reflection um, of you? Yes. And that's just kind of how I am. I think um I think another failure is like being really kind of how I operate and that's really being direct. And I don't know that everybody appreciates that as much, but like I appreciate people being very direct with me, direct mm-hmm. feedback. I feel like I like being efficient, efficient with people's time. So I'm well, that goes into honesty and integrity and loyalty. They're all sort of yes. and trust. I think, but I think women sometimes second guess themselves when they do have a direct approach. I have a direct approach. And I think a lot of women think of it as like, oh, is that going to come off like too harsh or not nice? Are people going to think I mean, you know, I think a lot of women sometimes second guess themselves, but that is just generally, I'm like, I'm, I'm 
direct. I'm very consistent. So you'll know exactly what I'm going to say, where I'm going to be. Like, I'm very consistent with my message, but I'm like to the point. Yeah. Um, and I think these are, uh, beautiful qualities and great qualities that make a great leader. Thank you. So, you know, uh, hopefully that, that everybody takes it that way. And I appreciate that, but you know, and well, listen, we're, as we know, as women, we like to please, but the reality is, is that it's not possible to walk away with everybody being happy and receiving us in the way that our intentions are. Right. right. But what I get from you is that whatever is being delivered is never from the standpoint of coming from harm. It's always coming from a, the ability to be the most efficient or the execute in the way that you, your vision is. Yes. Cause I say my last, my fifth one would be like thoughtful. Yeah. Cause I really like to just th- be considerate, like how I talk, even how we talk to customers. Like I think of them as like really educated, intelligent people. And I always want to speak to people thoughtfully. I like, I try and, you know, be very attuned to how people are feeling or what they're thinking. So I try and, I try and be as, you know, thoughtful and, you know, when it comes to things that family or friends need, as well as like our customers needs. Trying to be well, really I, I just really want to thank you for your time today and um, for your honesty and your transparency you. and the beautiful nuggets that you've given people. And uh, to me, somebody who wants to enter into um, a new industry, a new category, a new country, by the way, uh, and it's it's a big deal and a big undertaking. And it takes a special person to to say that they can do it. So. I applaud you for getting uh, Inspiro off the um, the ground, and I look forward to actually um, being a consumer of your brand. And I can't wait for us to meet in person in May and share more stories and share more together. So I'd love for you to leave people with anything that you might want them to know um, about where to reach you, where to purchase the tequila, um, your Instagram, anything that you want them to know. Yes. Well, you can, um, you can follow me and my personal one is be inspired by Mara. Um, you can also follow Inspiro tequila, I N S P I R O tequila. Um, I actually, I love talking to other women and, um, I actually answer all my DMS. Also, I'm very active on, on LinkedIn probably is my best, um, kind of best area, um, as far as me being more active on it. So you can reach, you can find me on LinkedIn, Mara Smith. Yes. Um, and you can find us on inspirotequila.com. So right now we ship to, um, 45 States. So you can actually, when when they purchase, can they purchase that through Instagram? You can't because it's alcohol. So you have to purchase through the website. Um, unfortunately, alcohol still has way too many compliance issues. So you have to to go for the website, but yes. So um, I really appreciate your time and I look forward to more interactions and what an inspiration, how uh, to be inspiring. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Well, I'll talk to you soon and have a lovely day. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Opportunity Knocks podcast by Empower Purpose and me, Michelle Valenzuela-Wolf. If 
opportunity is knocking at your door, feel free to take inspiration from the journeys of our diverse female entrepreneurs. Their tips and transparency are all available on the Opportunity Knocks podcast. Thank you for your support and subscribe now.